Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, and then put your finger over at 1 Corinthians 13. Today, I really pray that the eyes of our heart will be opened to see this deception that has slipped into the church. It's what I've titled the message today, which is called uh, Selfish Salvation. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse... 21 it says from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders I knew I would kick that off uh, many thing, things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Why? Because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, hold on to his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, We'll find it. We'll find it. We'll have abundant life. We'll have true life. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. The words that he uses there aren't uh, suggestions. They're not even uh, pick and choose. They're very specific. If you want to be my disciple, you must. Three things. That was the first three-point message in the assemblies right there. You must deny yourself and Take up your cross and follow me. Well, I'll follow him. You take up your cross. Well, uh, I'll follow him, but I don't need to deny myself. He didn't say one of these. Just choose one of these. He said you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Die to our selfish desires. Crucify the flesh. How many times have you read that in the New Testament? Take up your cross. I remember growing up in the church and hearing message after message. Wonder what that means. Well, now everybody has something 
No, cross. He said cross. Pretty simple. He picked up his cross. He says, now you pick up your cross. Greater love has no man than this. Pick up your cross. And follow me. Do you know we were called Christians first as, as a mocking, a mockery, you know, that, oh, there they are, those little Christ. Look at everything he did. Look at them doing. Because Christian means little Christ. He says, follow me. That don't mean make me, God says, in your own image. I think he, I read that somewhere, that that's not good. Follow me. If I did it, you do it. If I didn't do it, don't you do it, period. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, period. If you want to be my disciples. Anything less than this is a selfish salvation at best or more clearly defined, I would call it a counterfeit Christianity. Anything less than that. An article written in the Huffington Post, it was actually titled The Selfishness of Salvation. The author explains how the church has been preaching a very selfish gospel when it forces salvation as a reward system for a simple prayer. He goes on to say, secular psychologist Elfie Cohn states the great challenge with using rewards as motivators is that the more rewards are used, the more they seem to be needed. Have you ever offered an allowance to your child only to ask him later to do something? Well, what am I going to get out of it? That's that reward system. The more you use it, the more it's needed. Oh, so I don't have to do anything if I don't get anything out of it. And thus, within a Christian framework, we are simply setting people up to live in an endless cycle of requiring future benefits in order for their faith journey to be sustained. With such a paradigm and with faith as the currency I use to acquire benefits, my faith is only as strong as the benefit. And as soon as I can no longer detect an obvious benefit, my faith ceases to be active. Thus, when we distort faith itself to become egocentric, the gospel is paralyzed. This is all an echo of what Ellen White has pointedly proclaimed repeatedly within her writings, saying love to God is the very foundation of religion. She goes on to say to engage in his service merely from hope of reward or fear of punishment would avail nothing. See too, so too does it echo Jesus' words, deny yourself. His followers, he shockingly declared, should not desire to save their own lives, Personal salvation should not be our impelling force. On the contrary, Christ's followers should desire to lose their lives. An idea that stands at incredible odds with the average Christian lifestyle of today.
We preach it all the time. We say, oh, we want to return to the book of Acts. The early church, the model, the home church model. We need to return to it. Yeah, you want to? We're called to. You want me to preach that this morning? Sell it all? Give it all? Let go of everything? Can you imagine? Today. Dream with me for a second. There would not be one church lacking a thing. There would not be one needy person that's turned away and said, sorry, you're going to have to go to Father Fred Foundation because we don't have any money. There would never be a struggle at a board meeting for what are we going to do because we can't do all of this. We have to pick and choose. There would never be turned away ministries or opportunities to reach out and be a blessing to our community. Imagine with me for a minute if we return to that model. My son Isaiah posted on Instagram and I grabbed it and I said, hey, I'm using that in the message tomorrow. He's reading a book and I can't remember and I'm sorry I didn't I didn't write down what the book is or the author and I apologize. I always try to give credit where credit's due. But the little snapshot he sent me, it says, Welcome to Mick Church, where you get served up a gospel tailor-made to suit your personal taste and needs and that never confronts you or causes you any discomfort. McChurch not only fails to confront the idols and pagan values of the Western culture, it often Christianizes them. Not only do we not have to give up our possessions as Jesus commands, we're told that following Jesus ensures that we'll get more of them. Not only do we not have to love or serve our enemies, as Jesus commands, we're told that God is on our side and we applaud our nation for bombing them. If you're looking for an explanation as to why studies confirm there's hardly any difference in Western countries between churchgoers and non-churchgoers in terms of core values we embrace, I suggest we've just found it. It's a selfish salvation. It's a church tailored to your needs, your wants, your God, and your image. The selfish salvation has caused what I want to just talk about. It's these three horrific evils. One, a self-centered Christian. And it, it, it sh that shouldn't even go together. Christian being Christ-like, I can't see anything in God, anything in Jesus that's self-serving. Nothing. But this evil, this selfish salvation has, has raised up self-centered Christians. Meet my needs or else. Two, loving life instead of living a life of love. And three, a dying church. Mentioned it a little bit last week when, well, somebody else will do that. How did this light stay on? Well, somebody else will give. Well, how do we do this? How do we, well, somebody else will do that. Somebody else will do that. 
It's created a dying church. I wish I had the statistics with me this morning. It's heart-wrenching every time I go to a sectional council or a district council and I hear that now, more than ever, more churches are closing the doors than are, we are opening doors. More churches are closing doors than we are launching new churches. And I know the statistic in the assemblies is higher than the average, which is, amen, amazing. But the average statistic is that churches are dying because of this selfish salvation. So let's look at the first one. A self-centered Christian. Meet my needs or else. So when we present a gospel based on God meeting your need. Your faith will only be as strong. As how your life is going. If all we live for as Christians is a hope of a better life. How is that not self-serving? If Christians are little Christ, do you see that at all in God? You know, and, I, and I've been preaching that, and I apologized, you know, months ago that uh, I had to relook at. I, I would present salvation as a, you know, you want the reward, you want heaven, you don't want to go to hell, but that's just the basic need meat, you know. So then when you walk out the doors and all hell breaks loose on you, which it does, and it's promised that it will. The minute it says the minute that the seed is sown, the vultures come right in and try to snatch the seed around. The cares of the world will try to choke it out. You know, doesn't paint a pretty picture for a Christian life. But if all you're looking for is a better life, a pretty life, and that's why I'm going to paste Jesus onto it, it's all wrong. Because then the minute the trouble comes, I'm out. Bailing, get me out of here. I didn't sign up for this. What did you think you were signing up for? Uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow who? Follow the one that gave everything, laid down everything, sacrificed it all for who? Yet while we were still sinners? Yeah, John 16, 33, Jesus said in this world, you might have a few little bumps. No, you will have trouble. But he says, but take heart. Don't worry. I've overcome it. Why did he have to overcome it? So we can follow him. We don't have to overcome it. We just have to follow him. It's like going to Mount Everest. You ever see anybody go without a guide? They all go together. Now, you can't go alone. Now, I'm saying that and I'm thinking, I wonder if anybody has ever went alone. I don't know. I'm just saying why? When somebody who's been there before it would be a lot easier just to get behind them and follow them. Why blaze a new trail when there's a nice path laid out for you? This does not mean that you won't have to go through it, though. I mean, think of Noah in the flood. You're like, well, God delivered him. He went through the flood. 
He was in a boat, yeah, but he went through the flood. Could you imagine being in that? And I know it wasn't a small boat. But some of you get trapped a couple days with your spouse and you want to kill them. Like, you know, he had the weekend off. Go back to work. It's only Saturday. I don't care. Go find something to do. Could you imagine all that time? And with all those stinky animals and the, the flood and the rain, they'd never seen any of that kind of stuff before. He had to go through it. What about Daniel in the lion's den? You know, wouldn't it be nice if God would have just poofed him away as he was falling into the lion's den? Wouldn't that be nice? No. He had to stay in there. He just shut the mouths of the lions. Get a big kitty, kitty, kitty meow. I, you know, now that's okay, right? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why couldn't he have just blew out the fire, right? Couldn't he have done that? And then the boys turn around, ha ha, king, told you. No, they threw him in. But Jesus was in with them. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. A selfish Christianity, though, says, hey, I don't want any trouble. Forget it. No, God, you know, don't make me go through that. What are you talking about? I have to go through this. God, didn't you? Del Can you see how we whine and cry and brother, pray for me? I'm going through it. Duh, is what we should say. Hello. You know? Right? But no, we all, oh, that's, I'm so sorry you're going through it. Let me pray. What are you going to pray? God, take them out of it? God's saying, why? I wanted them to go through that. They need to go through that. There's some things that need to burn off from them. They need to go through this. You know, was there any time in your parental life you had to discipline your, and I don't care if you call it a timeout, you spank them. Or you take something away from them. Why? Because they needed to learn something. You start going through it and you start calling the prayer. Oh, call him. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Why? Because life's not being fair. Who told you life was going to be fair? Fair, flowery, it's, just, it's not there for a Christian. Shouldn't be there. You will have to go through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're like, what? The valley of lilies. No, death. I will be with you. I will be with you. Self-centered Christian says, I don't want to go through any more. I never signed up for that. Why? Because you came to God to meet a need. And then the minute you have a need, where's God? He's not Santa Claus. He's not a vending machine where you go up, put your money in, come in, walk in, and push his button. And I expect that. But if I don't get that, I'm out. Self-centered Christians. Deny yourself. You must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. We quote it all the time. We will overcome him. Revelations 12, 11. 
What? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Yes. No, sorry. There's three parts to that. But see, it's so easy for us to just quote the two. Why? Because we don't have to do anything for them. Right? It's a word of our testimony. Who made it a testimony? God provided something. You just get to talk about it. The blood of the lamb. The word of our testimony. The third part, you read on. And they loved not their life unto death. That's how we overcome. That's how we defeat the enemy. Love not their life unto death. We've taken out all the ifs. You do this out of the Bible. You know this, this is a Bible, this is full of conditions. Full. If you do this, God says, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do th we take out all those. That's why it's so easy for us to quote, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We don't want to hear the other part. We don't want to sacrifice anything. We should say we have to sacrifice. Oh, there's a promise. There's a promise. There's a promise. But what about all the ifs before it? See, we want to remove all the ifs. We want to remove all the self-sacrificing, anything that we would have to do. Forget that. We quote only the promises of God. And then we call God a liar and his word a joke if what we believe for doesn't come true. If, if, how many times have you heard um, uh, Jesus calls us friends, right? We sing it. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. We Do you know there's an if to that? You're not his friend. Unless. He said if. That's found in John 15. Starting at verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, Jesus saying these red letters, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And I won't even touch that one. You go ahead and think of that one on your own. Just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Here it is. You are my friends if you do what I command. Everybody's the friend of Jesus. Everybody can be. Well, there's not. How can there be condition? There's even a condition to salvation. To all those who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's a condition. Because if you don't call, you're not saved. That's a condition. Yes, you're a friend of God. Yes, you're a friend of Jesus. If you do what I command, he said. A self-centered Christian. The second one, loving life instead of a life of love. Instead of living a life of love. 
How often have you heard Christians say, oh, I can't, I can't, sorry, I can't do that. Oh, I'm, I'm too busy to do that. I'm too busy to do, sorry. Yes, Jesus said that we would have an abundant life. But do you think that's only so you can be selfish, keep it to yourself, and take care of your family only? Or so you can be generous, sharing, loving others, meeting other people's needs, being actively involved in your part of the body. Loving life is selfishly holding on to what was never yours in the first place. But it's my money. It's my kids. It's my time. No. God says, with, I'm hearing music, aren't you? You are too. It's heaven. It's playing the harp. It just loves it. God says with all these things, you are only a steward. Everything you have, you are only a steward of. And we will all have to give an account of what we did with his resources. Look at the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas over and over and over again. He says resources. What have I put in your hand? What have I put in your hand? What are you doing with what I've put in your hand? Don't let what you think matters more take the place of what matters most. We are commanded to live a life of love because God is love. The two greatest commandments. We just went through this when we went through the series, The Standard. All the law and the prophets hang on this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. Selfishness is not found in love. A selfish love is lust. What can I get out of it? Oh, I'll, you know, I'll share myself with you as long as you meet all my needs. That's a perverted love. 1 Corinthians 13. I'll just read it from here, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I've said it before, you can have this whole book memorized. But until you start applying it and walking it out and living it, it's useless, powerless. You can have all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. That's pretty strong words. And then he goes on to define what love is. And that's where I'm going to hold us to today. And even at the altar call is placing the love that we're supposed to have. If all the law and prophets hang on that kind of love, 
I want us to put it like a measuring stick up to how we've been loved, how we're loving ourselves, how we're loving God, how we're loving others, and put this measuring stick up, which it goes on to say what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy, does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, or in some translation that says always believes the best, always perseveres. I want you to think for a second, is that how you've been loving God? Not self-seeking, not easily angered, not keeping any records of wrongs. You're not delighting in evil. You're rejoicing with your truth with truth. You're patient, persevering. Is that how you've been loving your spouse? Oh, but he didn't. Oh, but she didn't. And what are you gonna do? Now you're withholding. Your love, that's not love. I mean, if you say, well, I don't know. That's a pretty big measuring stick. How could I? It's real easy. How does Jesus love you? Because he said, love as I have loved you. Oh, but he's just cantankerous old man. He's always there. He's always mean. And I'm just supposed to love him. Well, what do you think Jesus would say about you if Jesus loved you like you love your spouse? What if Jesus loved you like you love your cousin, your neighbor, your used to be my friend? What if we flip that around instead of just the standard that we believe is just so high? How can we ever love like that? What if we turned it around? I, I think God did put that in there. I think I've seen that where he says, I will forgive you as you forgive others. Love others as I have loved you. But what if he says, you know what? Or by the measure you're, you're judging others, I'm going to measure that judgment upon you. What? Love covers over a multitude of sins. I love that. It's a mountain upon mountain of sins. Love covers it. What love? Lustful love? Self-seeking love? No, true love. And it keeps no record of wrong. Have you ever tried to start doing right only for somebody to say, yeah, but you always, yeah, but you never. I remember when you tried to. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The third thing. One was a self-centered Christian. Two was loving life instead of living a life of love. And the last horrific evil that a selfish salvation has caused is a dying church. And you're like, oh, those poor churches. This is a dying church. 
I hope some light bulbs just went off. Look around. Last Sunday, second service, 16 people. This is a dying church. Oh, well, what's going on? Somebody else still has not come to church and become a member. Every time you walk in the door and you wonder, well, wonder who makes the bulletin. Oh, somebody else will do that. Wonder who makes the coffee. Oh, somebody else will do that. Wonder who teaches the children. Well, somebody else will do that. Who watches the kids in the nursery? Well, somebody else will do that. Who prepares the communion the first Sunday? But Oh, somebody else will do that. Somebody else still hasn't come to church. We're still waiting for that person. And without them, we have to start cutting back on things. You know, when only 5 to 8% of regular attenders faithfully give, and I'm not talking about tip God, I'm talking about faithfully, and you can call it 10%, you can call it 20%. I'd like to see more 40 percenters, to tell you the truth. 5 to 8% faithfully give. There's things that have to go without. We consistently have to tell people, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go down to Bacon. Love, Inc. Father Fred, we don't have any money. We don't have any extra account like that. How many years have we stood there looking at a building that needs to be built? How many years have you promised a youth facility for the youth so they don't have to try to behave because all they have is the sanctuary? You know why that building's not built? Selfish Christians. You know why we have to turn people away? Selfish Christians. Selfish salvation that says it's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about what I can acquire. What will a man forfeit for his soul? You're like, that's pretty harsh. Pastor Brenda, what are you doing? You're supposed to build us up and rejoice with the truth. Prayer's not going to set you free. Flowery messages aren't going to set you free. Truth sets you free. How dare I call myself a pastor and have to give an account if I don't tell you the truth? And I just pat you on the back and say, oh, well, brother, I hope someday God wants us to God makes himself subservient and I know this could be preached wrong too tweeted I guess I don't care but he makes himself subservient to us what yeah he really does he makes himself he puts all of his glory in us and then says go now into all the world and he lays everything upon us and in us and desires that we live our life, what? For his glory and his honor. Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. But the minute he says, we, you know, we jump into his lap, hey, save me, you know, and we get the get out of jail free card, I'm not going to hell ticket, stick that in our pocket, we slip off his lap and go live our life for ourselves. And then we, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me. He goes, who have you blessed lately? gave you, well, I don't have much. What's in your hand? Over and over. 
over again he asked them, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Why would he give you more if you're not faithful with the little he's given you? I hear it all the time. People say, well, I'll start being faithful to God and giving faithfully when when I get... What? If you're not going to be faithful with the little, why would he give you more? We are a dying church. And it's all from the selfish salvation. Church, this building, this building is a gym to build you up, a hospital to fix you up, and a university to train you up. But if we don't have any trainers, if we don't have any teachers, if we don't have any nurses, if we don't have any doctors, if we don't have any, if we don't have the people to do it, we have to close the doors. Because to be completely honest, the 10% that's doing all the ministry right now is getting tired. Jesus' commission commanded us all to preach, teach, and heal. All are called to do all these things. And I feel like I'm I'm really... promise if you could just crawl in my heart for a second I'm not saying this to punish you I'm not, I'm not spanking us here I'm doing exactly what he said he says spur one another on spur one another on to what to love and good deeds and it doesn't always feel nice I used to I mean we had horses and when you had to put the spurs on because you had a wild horse that kind of liked to do his own thing and you had to give them a little spur in the side to, oh, hello, that's right, you're, that's where I'm supposed to be going. It didn't feel good. But we do it to get us back on track, doing our part. The church is called the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Supporting ligament means that they're plugged in, vitally giving and receiving life. Supporting ligament. Everybody has been given three things, time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. We've all been given the same amount of time. I like that. But we've all been given different talents. You might be administrative. You might be a builder. You might be a teacher. You might be... Everybody has a different talent. And everybody's been given treasure. You can't consider what I have in my bank account treasure. It's treasure. Anything the widow's might was her treasure. We've all been giving those three things, and it goes on to say, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Supporting, supporting with those three things, that's supporting with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. Every part, doing every part, doing its part. So how do we erase these three evils from our church today? 
to selfless love. It's that love described, that first Corinthians love. It can't be anything less. It's got to be a deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow after me. If you can hear it in your own voice at all, I want you to be very aware. I pray that your ears are so open this over this next week that you hear every word that comes out of your mouth clearly. And almost in, 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 in putting it up to this. I mean, I heard it preached this week. I shared with the staff that uh, one of the messages I was listening to, a guy stood up and said, if I'm understanding you correctly, he said to the pastor, which it was an open uh, dialogue service. Um, he says, no Christian should ever be, should ever have a bad day, but only a greater opportunity to shine. And he said, bingo. Bingo. Only a greater opportunity to shine. How can the church shine? If we're all just, if only 10%, or actually it's probably less than that. At first it used to be 20%, I think 20 years ago. Now it's probably more like 8% or 10%, as Neil and I was talking yesterday. But if only 10% of the body of Christ is operational, fully plugged in and doing its part, that leaves 80 to 90% that's just limp hanging, paralyzed. We're going around showing the body of Christ to the world as a paraplegic. Crippled and limping and, you know, what, what's that? How, how do we look any different than the world? How do what you have? Have you ever, I mean, I've had people say that to me. You know, when I was first going back to church and plugging in and trying to get my life right. You know, when you try to do all the right things and you don't even know why. You just you, you just know you're, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Well, I was always taught just add two. Jesus is just an add two. Basically, you can do whatever you want to do. Just add Jesus to it. And I had a girl sitting in a, I went to the youth jail to minister. And I'm not, don't take this wrong. I, I am not one that pinpoints sins. It, you hear it. You just lay your life right on long here. Don't look for me to say what's sin and what's not sin. I'm not the judge. But I went in and sat down and I started ministering to her because, you know, I knew that's what we were supposed to do. And she looked at me. She goes, I'm sorry. Do you smoke? I smell smoke on you. I said, well, yeah, I, I do. And then I gave her this nice little explanation about how, you know, God don't judge me and he loves everybody. And, you know, and I've only been, a, you know, giving my heart back to the Lord for it only been a few years then. And she goes, don't try to don't try to preach to me freedom if you're still in bondage yourself. That was out of a 16 year old's mouth. Yeah, you talk about, I went, Ooh. I said, Pastor, it's time to go. A me in the car. She had no idea what she said to me. But I thought, oh, that was true. 
You know, we used to have these big, glorious, wonderful conversations about God about three o'clock in the morning after we had drunk and smoked and snorted all night. And then let's get spiritual. Let me tell you something. You know? And how God just wants everybody to have a good life. And, you know, everybody wants to do what they want to do. And I remember, I heard a pastor pounding on the pulpit when I was hiding under the pews at a young age. I don't remember him ever saying anything like that. God's not an added benefit. He is the way, the truth, the life, or it's a counterfeit Christianity. Thank you for an encouraging message. I don't know how to land this plane, so let's just call it landed. Yeah, so would you don't clap for me. Don't clap for me. Because this message is still very active in my heart. I walk around, oh, woe is me, like the three wolves in, you know, Revelation. Oh, woe, woe, woe is me. You know, and then I was reading last night and I came across that, you know, you shouldn't desire to be a teacher because teachers are going to be held at a higher accountability. I'm like, oh, woe is me. in the trenches with you. Don't ever think anything different. I still fight with my husband. I still argue with my kids. I still cry my eyes out at the foot of my bed. Why did I do that? <laughs> I know better than that. Wait a minute. I go, oh, guys, would you forgive me? That was stupid. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Paul even says, I have not attained. Paul being poured out like a drink offering, laying his life down in chains over and over again. He kept saying, remember my chains. Remember my chains. Here I am. Remember my chains. All right, we're in this together. Supported. Supporting the body of Christ. Selfishness has no place. Christian's life. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow him. So let's just stand. Let's close in prayer. I want to pray. I went long. I I don't even remember looking at the clock. I'm so sorry. Uh, We still have 10 minutes though before class. Um, And the class um, that we're going through is going to be four weeks long. We thought only three weeks. We have to do four weeks. Um, and it's about our identity in Christ. And it's a simple, I mean, this book is like this big. Really. It's a small little book. We're going to read a chapter a week, discuss it. But it all talks about our identity in Christ first. We can't walk the Christian life until we know who we are in Christ. Otherwise, we're trying to do to attain. And it's all backwards. And that's why you'll get stressed out, burned out, struggling. It seems like a grind to do because you're doing it all wrong. So it it was an eye-opening little book. And that's why we did it in a life group. And then I told the staff, I've got to do that. The whole church has got to get this. 
All right. Um, I know that we're supposed to come up, like I said last week. It's just a time for you to just quiet yourself before the altar, before God. And say, I just heard a word, Lord. Don't just let it lay there and go unfruitful in my life. Take time in here for God to plow that heart, move those things, prune those things, cut those things off that need to be cut off. Give him time to do that before you run out the door. Because he says, the minute you run out the word, run out the door after and just rejoice. I've heard a good word. Those crows will come after that seed and snatch it away. And it's gone. And then you're calling the prayer request. Oh, would you pray for me? I'm going through a hard time. All right. So let's come up front. Let's just spend time with God. If you need prayer for anything, it's not about the person praying for you. It's not about the words that they say. It's simply the name of Jesus.